Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 95. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide and have been a full-time outdoor instructor and guide since founding the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School in 1999. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident in the natural world through our bushcraft and guide training semester programs and multi-week canoe and snowshoe expeditions. You can check out the show notes to all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. If you're interested in learning more about our college-accredited and GI Bill-approved programs, visit the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School on the web at jackmtn.com. And check out our online network and digital learning academy at bushcraftschool.com. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 95. Today, our topic is minimalism in the wild. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tim Smith and Christopher Russell here. Hello, hello. Coming from the communications level of our semi-subterranean North Main Woods uh, layer. I did it. The last three times you've said that, I've been trying not to laugh, and I did it. Yeah, I good, did it. Good I for you. It. I did it. Good for you. Small victories. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about why and how to go minimalist when you're out on the land. Um, but before we get there, a bit of current events. Uh, number one, the Autumn Woodsman course coming up in early November here at the field school in Massardis, Maine. We still have, I believe we have three spots available, three spots still remaining. Um, purpose of the Autumn Woodsman course is a cold weather introduction when there's not eight feet of snow on the ground and it's not, you know, 30 below zero. So learning the skills of how to navigate cold weather uh without all the challenges that come with excessive snow and the you know sort of the the jeopardy that comes with the bitter cold of midwinter so if you're looking to learn something about how to live in the cold um from you know canvas tents and shelters and fires to axe use to even off-grid cabins and things the autumn woodsman might be a good might be a good fit for you uh it's a fun program uh, no bugs. Uh, that, that is, I like that. That's sort of becoming the defining. Whenever people think about living in the in in the wild, um, in the wild, it's all you know. It's always oh, aren't the animals a pain? Isn't the cold a pain? And it's no. The thing that the, the thing that drives your life living outdoors is bugs. In it's always northern bugs. Maine in June and July. Yeah, it's just it's all you think about. Thankfully, we've got like ten months without them. Yeah, but uh, then you spend the other ten months thinking about how great it is to not have. Like they're just they're insidious. Yeah, when they're bad, they're real bad. Oh, jeez. Um, you know, I don't want to sound. I, I think it's been kind of a theme with us the last few episodes bugs. where we whine about the bugs, and I don't want people to have that as the takeaway but they're pretty rugged and if you're not planning for them then yeah they can make your life real hard life's tough life's life can be tough so autumn woodsman coming up if you're interested get in touch spots won't last uh next the other thing is that i ran the uh the first weekend of the very first ever freelance forest program down in vermont um it was the first first big program i've ever run at the sort of school of forest campus which was really cool um, it was a really fun weekend. People got to 
you know, spin bow drills and see all the kind of cooking systems for living well outdoors, as well as learn a little, little bit about axe use. And we still have a couple more spots. I think I'll probably take people up until that third weekend. Cause after that, when is that? Like what's the third weekend? Uh, that, that third November? weekend will be November. Um, the third weekend in November. So up so until the third weekend is the third weekend in November. Whoa. Wow. I hadn't thought about that. Like conspiracy theories, yeah. just share, like they're going nuts in my head right now. There's all sorts of bells going on. Understandably so. Yeah, but yeah. So if people are still interested in that and waiting to pull the trigger, um, up until that third weekend, I'll take people. But after that, it'd be it'd be too hard to get people caught up. Yeah, um, and we just returned from a trip into the North Main Woods, uh, kind of a kind of a ultralight or improvised uh gear based trip yeah an ultralight in the sense that it was uh well we'll get into the we'll get into that, that yeah but, but yeah yeah it was a really good really good trip uh myself and our um our teaching assistant uh b took everybody out and i paddled out um i paddled everybody's food out and they kind of did a big hike around the lake that we were at to the campsite and um, with very, you know, as minimal gear as they could get and then spent, spent a few nights out with that system, which was, which is great. You know, the, the infrastructure here is, there's a little bit of it now. So you kind of, you get com- a little, not complacent, but you get comfortable. And so it's nice to shake that up a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Let's just jump right into it that we often discuss, uh, camping by canoe, like traditional gear, you know, heavy canvas tents. Yeah. And then in the winter time, we'll often be talking about, uh, camping by snowshoe and toboggan. So if you're hauling your stuff on a toboggan, if you've done it a couple of times and you're reasonably fit, you should be able to carry, you should be able to haul roughly your own weight on a toboggan. One person can carry, haul their own weight on a toboggan. In a canoe, one person, if it's a big canoe, you can carry 800, 1,000 pounds pretty simply. Like without, this is not, uh, I'm not talking about carrying around waterfalls or anything like that, but, you know, just yeah. regular water. You can carry a ton of weight. So I think we had the discussion with one of our current students where when we were talking about an improvised gear trip, kind of going ultra light, he said, oh, I never heard you guys talk about this or discuss this because it's always you know all the extra weight that you can carry by canoe or by toboggan and and it's true we don't i don't know if we have any experience on the podcast talking about going going ultra light or going with minimal stuff yeah we talked about it a little bit but we kind of usually refer to them as like primitive overnights and stuff like that where you go down with just stuff you've made yourself and um those are always great experiences but they don't i don't think people we don't we don't often do or uh, talk about the trips that we go on where we're trying to take as little as we can. Yeah, but but that is a big part of, of what we do yeah. here. Um, you know, last summer the advanced boreal forest summer survival course. That was the whole point of the course was to sort of prep people to make the stuff they need and then take off into the forest. You know, with minimal stuff. Um, and by minimal stuff, you know, a few simple tools. Axe, knife, metal pot, and a piece of tarp or some other, you know, windproof, waterproof yeah, way thing to light that a you fire. can set up. Um, so, you know, the idea is, uh, and it's I think it's important to define some terms here before we go any further. Uh, we're talking about not necessarily ultralight. When we talk about ultralight, that's usually very gear-based with specialized gear. And it's usually super expensive because it's made out of titanium and yeah. other unobtainium and other obtainiums Tim, that's uh, not a real thing 
unobtainian, we we can't get it. Because it's not a real thing. No, it's because we can't get it. It's, it's not obtainable. I can't get Santa Claus either, Tim. I've been trying, but he just I'm slowly starting to accept that he's, he's just, just shopping not in the real. wrong places. Uh, so <laughs> the Halloween aisle. So, oh, I'm so yeah. Dumb. So for for our purposes for this podcast, ultralight is not something that we do a lot of, just because we don't have a lot of the ultralight backpacking stuff. Um, you know, we're much more uh, engaged with the improvised or sort of do-it-yourself um, when we're talking about ultralight. Yeah, there's a difference between, I think, there's a difference between um, ha- carrying all the same gear, but that gear is made lighter versus carrying, not carrying the gear you don't you don't really need. Like minimizing, um, minimizing the stuff that you bring along because you know that the... Uh, the ability and knowledge that you've kind of built up over the years will serve you just as well as having having all that fancy stuff that it weighs half an ounce and yeah instead of cutting your toothbrush in half and having like oh this thing weighs you know 0.001 ounces the idea is to take the minimum kit and then let the forest provide the rest of it so for example we often see Headed into like a backcountry area, there's always some entrepreneurial uh, person who, at the end of their driveway, has a big sign that says Campwood, yeah, five bucks a bundle, right? Mm-hmm. And they uh, do pretty well. They do pretty well. Obviously, we're against that because you don't want to transport firewood. That's where bugs and and bad yep. pests get moved around. But you know, if I'm going to the forest which is loaded with wood. I know there's some certain places you can't cut dead standing and that's pretty much anywhere other than Maine or Canada. But you know, if it's loaded with wood, I'm not going to bring wood there. Like right. if I was going if I lived in Kansas and I was going on a vacation to the to the to the Maine coast, I'm not going to bring like a like a bucket of salt water from Kansas to the Maine coast cuz there's plenty of salt water when I get there. So the idea is that if I'm going to the woods, there's usually plenty of wood in the yeah. woods. Hence, hence the name. Yeah. Well, it's it's just this idea of um, you know not not having to bring. I'm really losing that. Um, yeah, just this idea that with uh, building up a sort of knowledge base of the ecosystem that you're moving in, you start to realize that you need less and less stuff. Um, and I think that that I think that's a, that's a great experience to have. Um, they spend these students spend weeks and weeks living in the same ecosystem and then uh when you go out into a place where there isn't you know an infrastructure like a well or clearly designated trees to be cut for firewood they can still kind of really easily id all the stuff that they need to get through get through the day which is i think kind of the whole point of uh you know bushcraft or wilderness living or whatever you want to call it it's not about it's not about bringing a propane stove with you it's about knowing how to not fashion a propane stove, but achieve that same result through a few simple tools and a knowledge of the landscape. Right. I would think ultralight would be like, bring a propane stove, but it only weighs 0.7 pounds or something. It costs $8 million. Right. So that that's the difference yeah. is interacting with the landscape on a meaningful level. And you've heard us discuss this in the past with the idea of lowering your baseline or resetting yeah. your baseline. That if your baseline consists of spending meaningful time in the forest... Uh, with the clothes on your back and a couple of simple tools, um, you know, that's a different experience than if you're traveling by 60-foot motorhome uh, sort of a thing where, you know, all of the all of the comforts of home. And then, you know, the ultralight, yes, they are not in a 
ultra giant motorhome, but you know, often they will have just scaled down lighter versions of sort of extraneous. Yeah, it's still it's still gear dependent. Um, whereas I don't think we are. I don't think we're as gear dependent. Like ultralight is pretty. You're pretty reliant on that stuff not breaking. Right. Um, whereas with us, it's you know, if your axe breaks, you carve a new handle and you put it on there. You know, it's it it. There's a lot less requirements for outside inf not influence, but outside uh, sort of. What's the word I'm looking for here? Outside stuff. <laughs> yep, outside stuff. Things. Things yeah, well, it's stuff. true. Like, there's not there's not a big need for any input from the outside um, in our way of going about life in the woods. Yeah, and let's say you do break an axe. You know, I think, uh, and I will uh, say where I heard this term in 1995, the first time I ever met uh, Moore's Kahansky. At the time, people were very interested in, you know, doing without certain pieces of kit. And I'll never forget that I said, hey, Moore's, you know, what what's your opinion on somebody going out into the woods without an axe and obviously moore's was from uh, alberta so northern forest sort of a thing we're not talking about going into like the desert without an axe where maybe an axe is completely extraneous but you know where you're going to be working wood a lot and and never forget what he told me he said perhaps the best way to learn how to get by without an axe is to become really good with an axe and then when you have mastered the axe, then you'll know what it takes to sort of get by without it because you'll know exactly what it needs to accomplish. So I think that's a really interesting way of, of uh, figuring out how to get by without something is to master whatever tool that is. So how do you get by without an axe? How do you get by without a knife? You know, if you had neither of those and maybe you're going to pick up rocks that you could break into where they will have a sharp edge, you know, even if you know very minimal uh, stuff about flint napping and making stone knives and things you can still smash a couple of rocks together and get an edge that's sharp enough to maybe carve a notch for a bow drill or clean a trout or something like that yeah and the, i think the uh i mean i think this this last trip we went on was sort of an example of that because you know they didn't uh the idea was for them to not bring tents they brought tarps and if we had done this week two um people would have been People would have been pretty pretty unhappy most of the time, but after having built two different shelters and spent four nights in each, they knew a little bit about what they needed to be comfortable, and with just a tarp and some rope, they could make something that they stayed fairly warm and dry in. We kind of planned this trip around having um, the second day be, I mean, it was a deluge. It was so much rain coming down, and a lot of these people were just on the ground under tarps and still with just their understanding that they had learned from the shelter building, they were, they were warm and, you know, maybe a little uncomfortable, but not, not nearly as miserable if, as, if, as, as they would have been had they not spent time in natural shelters previous. So having mastered those, it was a lot easier to, for them to kind of laterally think and solve problems. Wait a minute. It's almost like you're trying to tell me that knowing something useful is more important than owning it, specialized not gear. Not almost. That's exactly what I'm trying to tell. I'm not even trying to tell you. I am just telling you that. We live in a consumer-based society. Like, you're going to throw this monkey wrench in. What, you could put Walmart out of business with, with crazy ideas like that. No, I you? couldn't. What are you, crazy? No, I couldn't. Not if I, not if, no. <laughs> 
No way could I put them out of business. We're going to get sued. So notice the title for this episode is Minimalism in the in Wild. In the Wild. In the Wild. In the Wild. we got to use that kind of scary, macho. Uh, yeah. It's from an us. ad we heard. We're very scary and macho. It's from an ad we heard for a specific product that we won't mention because we don't want to get sued. But yeah. just goofy as hell, right? It was pretty, yeah. We, we've had some good laughs about it. <laughs> But notice it's not, we didn't call it uh, bushcraft in the wild because cause the way, I think the original term of bushcraft. It's Walmart. Uh, bushcraft is Walmart. Bushcraft oh. is is no longer really in the, in the mainstream, if you will. Yeah. I don't think bushcraft is about a meaningful, uh, visceral relationship to the land. Kind of what the term has been co-opted to mean now is like specialized gear, yeah. but not necessarily like. Uh, ultra light gear it's a whole different realm of gear yeah like, uh so yeah that's why we didn't call it uh bushcraft minimal minimalist bushcraft i don't know if that term exists it's like jumbo know. shrimp or honest politician right it's just made up and doesn't really exist anywhere hmm that's an, that's an insight there <laughs> yeah but it's true it's you know i'm sure there are plenty of people that uh I get. I don't know what you would call it. Practitioners of bushcraft that probably have a meaningful relationship with the land, right? But, no, but the and overarching I'm, culture of it now is very like is gear based. Do it's I all, get a patch? It's Do about, I get a patch? It's about the gear. Yeah, um, which is you know, it's become about stuff, and yep. that's too bad. Because in my definition, bushcraft has always been about doing something. It's never been about buying something. But these days, it seems to be more about buying stuff and having the mm-hmm. right look and the right gear and. Um, what was know, our, our our former instructor Ben had a great story where he went to uh, he went to a wilderness medicine course and they needed to make a litter and a lot of the people with him were kind of uh, you know they weren't they hadn't done a lot of like living simply in the woods and stuff like that and so to make a litter he went and started cutting saplings down with his knife by bending them and applying tension and um the only question anybody asked him was what kind of knife he was using to do that i think it was just a pocket knife like it wasn't it wasn't yeah but it but that's that's it right it's like what what knife do i need to cut down saplings you don't need it what gear do i need to engage with the land you don't you don't you just don't well i could gnaw through it with my teeth it's only 99 percent of human history that we didn't have all the modern specialized crappy gear that's out there so you know for that 0.001 percent of human history yes we have needed that do you think and I'm that, not that good with numbers or math. Do you think that Paleolithic people that didn't like jump to the new kind of chert that somebody had found got made fun of the yes. way like yes. yeah on Instagram. We're a horrible species. On always Instagram. <laughs> but, you know, the, the big overarching point is that it's good to get out on the land with minimal stuff. It's a worthwhile exercise. Yeah. You know, it lowers your baseline and if you're somebody who say can go out and make yourself comfortable in a forest environment you know with a knife and axe metal pot a piece of tarp like yeah your baseline's pretty low there's not a whole lot that the world can take away from you and like make your life really unhappy but if you you know if you need that 60 foot rv and they take that away and maybe you only have a 40 foot rv and you spend the rest of your life bitching about ah this rv sucks I wish I had the bigger RV, you know, then yeah. it, life's kind of hard then. And, you know, the goal should be, number one, to have a uh, realistic and visceral uh, relationship with the land around you. But also should be like, you know, we go out and do these things so that, so that life is easy, not to make life hard. Yeah, there, so I have, I have two two separate thoughts about what you just said. The first is that, you know, we were out on a series, a gorgeous 
series of lakes in the North Main Woods. Um, we were out there kind of living pretty simply, doing a lot of hiking around and stuff like that. But it's also grouse season right now. So there were people driving up and down the woods roads. And, truck hunting, bub. Yeah, truck hunting, you know. And, and Tim's joking about RVs so much because we saw a lot of RVs parked where people would park their RV and stay for the weekend and walk up and down the ridge roads. Walk? Woods, oh, yeah, exactly. Me? No one walks. Dri- drive the RV in with the truck, <laughs> drop it off, and then get in the truck to go hunting. Um, which, you know, okay, if that's the way you're doing it, you're doing it. Yeah, at least but, they're getting out. But we hiked, and I, like I say, I paddled my stuff in, and I got, you know, 15 feet from a, a giant flock of 15 loons that are getting ready to migrate for the for the winter. Um, on our hike up this mountain to a fire tower, we got, you know, probably three feet from a grouse and got to listen to uh, a mom and dad beaver swimming around talking to the kids that were inside the lodge still. And you just, those experiences don't happen Um they don't happen if you're what is it? What do they call it? Engine hunting or truck hunting or whatever? Yeah, truck like hunting. Like they just it's just not a reality. You you go, you shoot your bird, you climb back into your truck, and then you listen to whatever's on the wacky French station on the radio. Which is I love the wacky French station on the radio, but yeah. I'm not. But it's not the same. If I if I'm going to go out, I want to really have kind of a. I want to be as quiet as everything else while I'm out and about, and I think our way of camping lends itself to that a lot better yeah or and you don't have to camp that way all the time but there's a huge benefit in doing it from time to time right yeah. to reestablish that baseline as being very low well and that was this kind of the second thing i was thinking was you know we're talking about baselines and um you know we talked about people sleeping under tarps and stuff and um you know it, they were sort of uh, a little i wouldn't say nervous but sort of you know, it was a new a new way of doing things that they haven't done yet on the course to go out on this trip. And then um, whether they knew it or not, that lowered their baseline. And then at least the people in my truck on the way home, all they talked about was how excited they were to get back into their hoop houses that they've been living out of. And, um, you know, I'd be willing to bet that if you told those people six weeks ago that their, their like big upgrade from a weekend out was going to be to go back and sleep on a bunch of cut stripped logs with grass on top of it. They would have looked at you like you were crazy, but because that, you know, because they had a somewhat rough night in a, in a, under a tarp while it was pouring down rain. Now the idea of the hoop house seems like, seems like a huge upgrade. Luxury. An absolute luxury. luxury. And it is, it is like, it's it's a great, it's a great way to live. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, a gorgeous thing. We had one student who, um, you know, put him, put his spot down in a place that, you know, he got a little damp. And so he, he wasn't, he wasn't super cold or anything, but he just wasn't super comfortable. And then as soon as he woke up, he spent the rest of the day talking about how excited he was to just crawl back into, crawl back into his, his little tarp covered cave and go to sleep. And that's, that's awesome to me. Um, you know, it, it wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to get back and I'm going to go, go have like a a fancy bath with soap and stuff like that. It was just the idea of crawling into a thing that he made to be warmer. And that that's, it's so simple, but it's so powerful. What's that? Is that like Spanish for like smelling salts or something? uh, It's like soup, but you can't eat it. Why not? (laughs) I'll tell you later. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a quote that I've heard numerous times over the years. uh, And it goes something like, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. <clears throat> and there's a lot of there's a lot of wisdom in that quote, right? But what it usually leads to 
practically speaking, is people just bringing way too much stuff. So, yes, if we're traveling by canoe and if I'm paddling solo in a 20-footer, uh, yeah, I can carry tons of stuff. But that doesn't mean I need to have all that stuff. Obviously, if you're camping traditionally, you know, canvas tents, bringing a wood stove like this time of year, um, that stuff weighs a lot. So, it, But it doesn't mean that I'm also going to bring like, you know, eight uh, toothbrushes that have been sawn in half, you know, and, you know, kind of crappy minimalist versions of regular gear. Maybe it's better for me to just leave some of that stuff out and not bring it i haven't carried a toothbrush in years yeah uh and it's obvious why oh um because you have really straight uh good teeth oh see how i tried to rescue that like see how i use the same syllable to imply different emotions in that no i didn't see that i might have heard heard it it. you're too quick for me tim you're too quick but just that bit i'd rather have it and not need it yeah so let's all then you know buy like tractor trailers and load them up with gear and done have all of that crap there waiting so, to go you so, had me at trailer the downside is you know with that approach is that at some point uh you spend all your time dealing with the stuff and when you're dealing with the stuff all the time you don't have any time to build that relationship with the land yeah. Right. Because you're just like, oh, I got to maintain this and take care of that and do this. And and that's, you know, in my mind, that's a huge negative. And, you know, I'm not saying that everybody out there in podcast land needs to pitch all of their stuff and just go out, you know, wearing like a loincloth and, and done <laughs> and do whatever, with you know, with no material culture. But I will make the claim that if you have too much stuff, it becomes all about the stuff yeah and that's a negative because you know we go out and we recreate to uh number one blow off steam from our um the modern world and you know have that build you know build that relationship to land and and feel like we belong somewhere not necessarily to become the caretaker of like five thousand individually uh packaged pieces of gear yeah and to me i mean kind of broader picture here if if you're going into the woods to escape the modern life, maybe maybe your modern life could use a little bit of parsing down, right? Like there's, we have so much stuff in the modern world and, you know, maybe a little bit of the woods creeps back into your home where you're like, do I really need like eight different ways to make coffee? No, I don't. Like 12 then? Yeah. You're really, you're really helping me make this argument here. But there's something to that, right? Like the more time you spend in the woods and the more that baseline is, baseline is lowered, the more you kind of you kind of start to see how much just random nonsense you have at home that you could get rid of. Right. Like we, we have a saying around camp is uh, base camp heavy travel light, meaning yeah. don't don't uh, try to live that minimalist lifestyle. If you're coming to the field school for like a nine week program, bring whatever you need or want to be comfortable. Right. But but also be prepared when we head out um, you know, into the woods or away from camp. Be prepared to go pretty light then. So you don't need to bring everything with you in yeah. that instance. Um, so, and also, you know, I, I like we've said before, I believe that every now and then it's very beneficial to you as a uh, person just to go really light, to, to see yeah. what you can eliminate. Because there's always, if we went the other way, like, hey, let's try adding more something new. Let's try adding more gear to our kit. There's always a new piece of kit. There's always something shiny. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all want it. We're, we're having this discussion. But if I see something in a catalog and I'm like, oh, God, I want that so bad. And, you know, but, but, but just the idea that um, you don't need it. 
it doesn't hurt to get it. There's nothing wrong with getting yeah. gear, wanting gear, owning good gear. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just when that becomes the sole focus of why you go out. Yeah. You know, all the sort of YouTube channels where the guy's like, ah, I'm going to go out and test my gear, right? Like, well, you know, I, I don't know. Those kind of rub me the wrong way. Yeah. But they're not, you're not really testing it if you're not having an authentic woods experience, right? You're just sort of kind of sitting in your backyard, uh, following the directions that came with it yeah and th- and there's also you know uh, for me it always weirdly goes back to canoeing where i every time i get a new piece of kit of some kind um, i have to think about because i'm i'm lazy like i don't want to i don't want to portage more than i have to and i don't want to have to make more trips so if it doesn't if it doesn't fit into like the basically like the four bags or barrels that i bring all the time it doesn't go with me you could follow who's that guy on the outside online article he said the key to portaging is or to bring key. three people yeah bring three people and it's for like one i boat. just like no maybe I would you got just, too much stuff there bud yeah i would just rather uh i would just rather parse my stuff into the bare minimum and be able to take it all in one go yeah um yeah, but it's uh you know it's something that we're all guilty of though oh, yeah. like the sort of the the older you are, the more years you spent kicking around like the woods or, or, you know, woodsy stuff or camping or guiding or whatever. You know, we all sort of probably started out as kids and you're running around in the backyard. We all definitely started out as kids, Tim. Well, we started out as babies. Well, we started out as zygotes. That was the, uh, oh, what was the, Rodney Dangerfield and Easy <laughs> Money, uh, the, the mother-in-law's like... Uh, he started out like as a doctor and now he owns his own hospital. And Rodney Dangerfield says, uh, I started out as a baby and now I'm a baby photographer. <laughs> it's so good. If you've never seen Easy Money and you like Rodney Dangerfield, it's worth a watch. Um, anyway, you know, I'm so sorry I did most that. kind of woodsy people, uh, you start out as a kid and you, you got nothing. Maybe your grandfather gave you like a pocket knife or you, you bought one or something. And, and then, you know, you're out there in the wild and all you got is your, your little knife and you're super happy. Flash forward 20 years. 30 you know, knives. And you, yeah, you got a barn. Not enough belt loops to hold them all. You don't have enough barn space to hold all the crap that you've... Uh, and, and this has happened to me. Right? <laughs> you don't have enough space in the barn to house all the stuff yeah. that you've accumulated over the years. Granted, in my case, because we run courses and things, often I'll come across like a pile of sticks in the barn. I'm like, why are these in here? Because it was <laughs> somebody's project that they abandoned and I'm, you know, couldn't can't burn them fast enough at that point. But, you know, you start off as a kid improvising and interacting with the land. And eventually, you're that adult with too much stuff, right? It just happens. You know, something here, something there. If you're bringing in maybe one piece of kit a year and you're not purging one piece of kit a year, you know, at year two, you have twice as much stuff as you did at year one, you know, and it it continues like that exponentially. I thought you said earlier in the podcast you weren't good at math. Uh, What? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's a common thing, uh, but we encourage you to get out and not have a ton of gear. And I think it's common enough that I was looking through an old book of Robert Service's poetry, and he has a poem in there about the joy of being poor. And in the poem, there's two old rich guys with too much stuff, and they're talking about or reminiscing about how awesome it was in their younger days when they could go out on the land and all they had between them was like a, you know, like a hobo satchel and a, and a loaf of bread or something. And they're, oh, weren't those great days? And it's a great poem. You can find it online. Uh, probably worth we'll a link read. to it in the show notes. How about that? Yeah, how about that? But, you know, the just the idea that, that 
there's certain things that are lost from the experience when you're inundated with too much stuff. And that's kind of the, you know, the, the big overarching point of what we're talking about today is that, you know, to have that, to build that visceral relationship with the land, it's more challenging to do if you have too much stuff, if you're too inundated with stuff. Yeah, it just, it just kind of, it gets in the way. I mean, it's, it's sort of weirdly fitting. Like, it's, you kind of can't see the forest for the trees, right? You're too hung up on the individual little pieces of the kit and how they function, and you miss out on a mom and dad beaver talking to their kits, right? Yeah. Wait. I don't know why they're... Their kits? Like, beavers are carrying kit? They're, like, naked swimming around. No. Kit. Small beavers are called kits. Oh, okay. I'm following now. <laughs> Again, I felt like that was really good. And then I ran into a brick wall. (laughs) So again, there's nothing wrong with having gear. Gear's awesome, but don't let the gear become the focus. Yeah, let the gear assist you into having a meaningful relationship with the land rather than you having a meaningful relationship with your kit. Not a beaver kit. (laughs) And every now and then it's useful to see how little you can have with you and and still be comfortable, still be happy. Yeah. Right, because that kit, that kit will mean a lot more to you after you've lived without it. Like as soon as I lost my pet beaver kit, you know, it just really, it, it was really hard, and I, it was only because I had a meaningful relationship built up with it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we're done. I guess we're done. Thank you very much for listening, <laughs> spending this time with us. We hope you enjoyed this. You know the drill. If you like this, share it with somebody. Leave us a review, uh, and we'll hit you back again soon. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs>